Before we get to this week's episode, there's a new series in town that everyone's talking about. We Own This City. We Own This City is a high-intensity cop drama centered around the Baltimore Police Department's Gun Trace Task Force. Now, they're responsible for keeping crime and drugs off the street, but of course, there's internal corruption and plenty of plot twists also at play. Starring John Berntal and from the writers of The Wire, it is not one to be missed. That's We Own This City. All episodes available to stream on now. Plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. Now, there's always this big debate. What is the greatest series of all time? Well, certain ones will always come through. Game of Thrones, The Wire, The Sopranos, all available now, by the way. And one that invariably will be in most top 10 lists is Mad Men. What a series. The glowing ad agency, Sterling Cooper, the 1960s, the culture, the sharp suits, the pinnacle of iconic advertising. And I'm super, super excited this week. We got one of the stars of the show who was opposite John Hamm and Elizabeth Moss, Christina Hendricks. She played Joan Holloway, the stylish redhead who was able to use her charm, but also use her intelligence to navigate the office environment and become one of the key players at Sterling Cooper. The role of Joan Holloway for Christina was iconic. And of course, she's been in other hit shows, the NBC hit, Good Girls, Tin Star, another series on now. I can't wait to talk to her about all of that. There's no doubt she has had so much success, but I'm also quite keen to work out what her life's been like away from the camera. I know she's very, very creative. And even with Mad Men, she was catapulted to a new level of superstardom. So it'll be interesting to hear about that sort of juxtaposition, the before and after. So let's get to it. Christina Hendricks on Plot Twist. Christina, it's a pleasure. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to start with something important, arguably the most important question. I don't normally do this, but I think in this case it's necessary. How, how are the dogs? Are they okay? Uh... <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> they are wonderful. Trisket is out playing ball right now, and Zuzu is probably napping in the sun somewhere. You've had Zuzu <laughs> for quite a few years now, haven't you? Zuzu's going to be 10 in August. I know. It's so. It's like she's just the perfect angel. And I was hoping that some of it would rub off on Trisket, but it seems the other way around. <laughs> well, there's always one good one and then one that's up to mischief. That's it's always, always the, the second's yeah. crazy, yeah. right? I was yeah. the second. <laughs> Where does the name uh, Trisket come from? Because we were looking at it. Is that like an American, looks like an American snack, you know, like a It a really cracker. is truly an American cracker snack. Simple as that. It's so silly, but I've loved Triscuits my whole <laughs> life, like really love them. And I'm always saying how the Triscuit is the perfect cracker because it has just the right amount of salt 
and it doesn't take away from the cheese, but it sort of contributes to the cheese, but it also could just be a solo cracker. My, my passion for this cracker is way too big. Um, but mostly I also just sounded really cute. I was like, I'd be cute if a dog's name was Trisket. So when I got one, I was like, you know, it's a cute name. I like it. it they sort of, <laughs> I was looking at them, I think for UK listeners, they kind of look like shreddies. Are you familiar with shreddies? Yes, they look a little bit like shreddies. Yeah, exactly. they've got that kind of shreddy sort of look and feel. That woven um, basket look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw I saw the dogs on social media. I thought, I've got to ask. That's always a good place to start. Um, they are my pride and joy. There's a, a few things that you can take away from social media. I mean, I think with anyone's social media, you kind of take it with a pinch of salt in terms of who they are. But one thing that you do notice, there's so much love for you first of all Aww. and also also just how creative you are I've just seen like the reupholstery I know you're a badass florist I mean there's, <laughs> there's a well, lot. thank you is that a big part of your life outside of work it is I'm quite domestic and I'm I'm very into sort of my home and my environment and hosting and having friends over and that's very soothing to me I want to ask some random questions. It's a feature that we've done over in the in the past. I kind of get this from a website that populates random questions. So some might say that I'm being lazy. I personally think I'm being quite creative. So <laughs> you must get asked a lot of the same questions over and over. So I'll fire okay. them at you and just, you know, see, see what you think. What little thing do you do that you don't think other people notice? This kind of ties back into sort of how I like being at home and care for my home and things is I'm a little bit weird in that if I go to a restaurant or a party and I go into the restroom and someone's been messy, like water everywhere, or like paper towels on the floor, I sort of straighten up for people. I, I sort of wipe, <laughs> wipe up or I'll change the toilet paper if it needs to. <laughs> I sort of spruce up. I, I leave it nicer than when I went in. You know, nice. but if I go to someone's home or if I'm even at a restaurant, especially if it's like a pretty restaurant, I just get so upset that someone would be so disrespectful that I kind of tidy up for people. Oh, yeah, I was sort of wondering, is that is that OCD or are you just a good human? And I think it's more the latter from what you've just. <laughs> I don't want someone else to be like have a bad experience. So I guess there's some goodness to it, but I'm also just like, someone spent a lot of money thinking about where to put these things and the decor and there's wallpaper. Like, why would you not throw your paper towel in the actual trash can? Yeah, that's so a fair point. It's a it's, fair a, point. it's, I think it's maybe respectful. Yeah, absolutely. I'll the next one. What's one thing nobody talks about, but should? I find myself consumed a lot with thinking about how my phone is taking over my life. Oh my gosh, yes. In a lot of ways. And I, and I was thinking about how we do all these healthy things for ourselves. Like we have our step trackers to make sure we've taken 10,000 steps today or whatever it is, but we don't have something saying, you know, you've spent a little bit too much time on your phone today and we don't think it's good for your mental health. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Do you get those updates at the beginning of the week that tell you the amount of hours per day you've been on your phone? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's it's scary. shocking, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. You're like, I was shopping for that many hours? What's wrong with me? <laughs> even not even turning on the phone, but you're at a concert and you're filming it, or you're taking a picture or you're doing this. You know, I, tr I tried to not do those things, actually. But, you know, if you can't take a picture of it, then it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> It's if it's not on Instagram, then it, then I didn't go to it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. And I do think we're losing special moments because of it. The last one, I just thought you've spoken about your 
time growing up and your in your time in high school and i thought this question was quite interesting if you could go back and change parts of your childhood would you mm. you know i don't i don't think i would i mean there are certain things that of course i are not good memories or that were painful or traumatic in some way but i think that they've all you know guided me to who i am now they it's given me survival instincts it's toughened me in the ways that I needed. And yeah, sometimes you think, I, I wish I could go back and say, you know, we never would have moved to Virginia. We were happy in Idaho. That's where we should have stayed. And then I think all the opportunity that it provided and that it got me closer to New York City, which is where I eventually left after high school. It just, you know, it's all a domino effect. So no, I, I don't think I would. And I, I'm a very lucky person to be able to say that too. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I only ask because you've, you've spoken about sort of bullying in high school and mm. the extent of what you did go through was quite shocking, I guess, at some points. But then it was just also that I suppose that some people that go through that, they are able to utilise it in a positive way later on in their life, but it's still with them. I just thought that was, was just to get your take on it. I'm sure that being bullied and observing why that was happening and when and who was doing the bullying and why me and why my friends and that sort of thing definitely has influenced my perspective on things and I'm certain comes out in characters that I play the way that I view people or the things that hurt me or the things that make me flinch could be quite different from someone else's and that's why every actor is so unique because they're bringing their history and their story to something so um yeah, it sucked at the time. Like, what a bunch of jerks. But they were probably trying to figure it out, too. Some of them were probably still jerks. Some of them are probably, you know. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, is it, since, obviously, since that time, you go on to become, well, you are this uh, super talented actress, worldwide recognition. Has anyone ever reached out from the past like that? I haven't had, like, an ex-bully, like, reach out and be like, hey, Christina, I'm sorry. <laughs> wouldn't that be the day? That would be nice. I wouldn't even know what to say if someone, if someone did that. Um, so, no, there hasn't been sort of like a, whoa, where did that person come yeah, from? Like, yeah. they just came out of the woodwork. I, I don't think I've had a real <laughs> moment like that. It's all been fairly organic or I reached out to someone or something like that. Well, that's a good thing. Or they're trying to reach me and they can't get my phone number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. Yeah. All the bullies just can't find my phone number. <laughs> they're trying. They're trying. <laughs> they're trying so hard. <laughs> Let me ask you a, a plot twist question. The first one that we always ask, which I guess is that sort of ultimate plot twist in your life. And the plot twist being this sort of notion of the unexpected that can change a storyline or your own story in this case. What, what would be your ultimate plot twist? My ultimate plot twist would be getting cast in Mad Men. I mean, I, I think it's a fairly obvious answer, but such an extraordinary thing to be a part of. And it not only was a plot twist for my career, but for my entire life, because I, I just learned so much from it. And, and it afforded us to travel places and to celebrate it and to to meet the most interesting people because of it. And so not only was it fantastic artistically and, and so amazing to be on a project that was getting people talking and having interesting conversations about our history and where we are now and is it different and feminism and racism and all, all sorts of things. It was just like really special to be a part of. Because I suppose it was 
correct me if I'm wrong, it was a bit of a slow burner in terms of the reception. But once it got going, mm. it did just then go to this whole new level. And actually, we've spoken about it a lot on this podcast where if you go back to 2007, 2008, when you start, really, it was probably more, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but actors were trying to get into the movies. That was the big sort of pull. And TV series probably isn't as popular as they are today, you know, taking on the role. But my goodness, it went to just a new stratosphere. Yes, you're right. There were there were a few shows that were amazing that were on that were very cinematic, like The Sopranos, that had people excited about television, but there weren't a lot. So when we came on and it was just so different from anything that was on, and it, it just stylistically, it looked so great and it really caught people's attention. And like you said, it was a bit of a slow burn. I mean, I, I don't think it was until the middle of season three that I was in a department store and someone said, hey, I love your show. I was like, wait, <laughs> looking behind me, wondering who they were talking to, like, you know, completely confused. We had been winning awards and had nominations and things, but people still didn't know who we were. Mm. In a way, it was kind of nice because we were shooting it in this, a little bit of a bubble because we, we didn't have a lot of external opinions or influence and the network was just excited and loved it and, and was saying, do what you guys want to do. They, we weren't getting like silly network notes like so-and-so needs to wear brighter lipstick or, you know, mm. like just goofy, goofy, weird things just to put a note in kind of, which I think a lot of networks do. They loved the product. They trusted Matt Weiner, the creator, and they just kind of let us do what we were doing. And then the next thing you know, they went and found Breaking Bad. And then all of a sudden AMC was like the cool place yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. And we were like the cool kids on yeah. the cool on the cool station. And it felt great. It felt like we were starting something new. And and I think we have because now there are so many good shows out there. It's sort of like, how do you even choose what to watch these days? There's just so much good material. But that's the thing, isn't it? With streaming services now, I think it has changed the trajectory of of television and what Breaking Bad and Mad Men kind of preceded that slightly. So just in terms of timings yeah. at least. Yeah, it definitely kicked it off. I, I believe that and I'm proud of that. It's also just, it's interesting how we just share material now through other countries. It used to be sort of yeah. like if there was a great British TV show, you'd have to go and search for it and find it and word of mouth. And now it's just scrolling through. So oh, there's this great... Yeah. Swedish film, there's this great British thing, there's this wonderful Japanese, you know, it's just so available. And I think having that availability is also influencing each other's projects, you know, because the standard is higher than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And there's an expectation now and we know we can do it. So to not do it, there's almost no excuse. I'm glad you mentioned Mad Max. I did have some questions. Uh, you know, you, you play such an iconic role with Joan. The first one was, where do you think she'd be now? We've obviously seven years after the show finished and she went through so many trials and tribulations. And if we imagine seven years on, based on when the show finished, where do you think she might be? Well, you know, at the very, very end, we see her starting her business in her dining room in her one bedroom apartment. Well, we decided it was probably a two bedroom at some point, but we never saw the second bedroom. <laughs> we were like, where's mom sleeping? But I have a feeling she was probably quite successful. I have a feeling she moved out of her dining room and she might be in a smaller office with a few employees, but running the show. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the old clients sought her out and switched over to Joan's company. Trailblazer. I love it. <laughs>
it's very relevant, I think, how relatable Joan's storylines are to women. But, you know, the internal and external battles that you portrayed so brilliantly. Did you, when you take on the role or you got into the character after a couple of series, were you aware of just how relatable, you know, Joan's experiences in the workplace and at home would be to, to other women? I started to understand. In the beginning, I don't know if you remember the pilot, at, you know, Joan just sort of walks Peggy through the office and introduces her. She sort of lays out the map of the world we're about to, you know, enter land, and yeah. introduces her to all the characters. And then in the first four or five episodes, I was like, oh, Joan's just a bitch. Okay, Joan's a bitch. <laughs> but I didn't want to just, you know, there had to be more to her than that. And I, and every time you get a script, you get like a little bit more clues of who this person is. Okay, so she's the kind of person who does this. She's the kind of person who shames someone for their sandwich at lunch. She's the type of person who doesn't show a lot of sensitivity in the office and says, don't cry, you know, be a big girl. And so I do remember calling Matt Weiner and being like, oh, you know, like, just tell me some inspiration of why she's behaving this way. I, it's, it's fine to play a bitch. That's fine. Some amazing characters are bitches, but you're just trying to under, you just want to, you want the performance to be as authentic as you can. So you're just trying to discover who this person is. He said something to me early on. He said, it's just that she's right. She's smart. <laughs> she thinks she's right. She mm. really thinks she's right. And she's trying to be helpful. If she thinks that this opinion of hers or these comments or these criticisms are going to eventually help these women. And it might come across as, harsh or insensitive but mm. really she's it's the best way she knows how to help these women along and I was surprised that women were people would come up to me and and women were saying like I just love her and go Joan and I was I was surprised because I thought oh gosh Joan like scares me a little bit but there was something about her toughness and her resilience that people were really responding to and then as the scripts came in they, all the characters became richer and deeper and, and more layered, but you started to see her plight, you know, and, and it was that she was really, really good at things and she wasn't allowed to do them because mm. she was a woman. And the show starts out where she sort of accepts that that's her place in life and that she's gone quite far. She's moved away from her hometown. She's moved to New York City. She's a working woman. So in many ways, she's our, she thinks, this is it, I've done it. And then she starts to realize as time goes by, wait, there's a lot more, and I'm actually very good at it. And that's when it got even more exciting, all those trials and tribulations and, and the harassment from the men and overcoming that. And I think so many women have had those experiences and continue to. Mm. Well, even after the show finishes, obviously, with... I guess Me Too of a movement, it kind of even highlights that even more, I guess. Um, yeah. I, w I wanted to read you a, a quote. I was like looking on social media, seeing what people think. Because there was always something I really liked about her character. She played it so well. Typically good looking people tend to get all the good perks in life. But in some ways her looks got in the way, at least in the business side. It was both her success and downfall. Do you think that's a fair? Well, I think the fact that she was female was her downfall in particular. And one thing that was interesting about the character is we talked about how Joan uses her femininity 
to get ahead. She knows how powerful it can be and when and how to use it and who to use it with. And to me, it was just an acknowledgement of Joan being very self-aware and knowing that she had to use everything she had, which she used her brain most of all. But she also pulled herself together and put on a, a nice lipstick and, and, and went to the hair salon and pulled herself together because she knew that she would be regarded in a different way. So I think just the sheer fact that she was female was a barrier for her that at the time she just couldn't get beyond. I look, I look back at articles from, like you say, probably that third series where it really starts to build traction. Do, do you think that quote in a way almost relates to you a little bit as well? I do think that as I look back over the years, things that I've auditioned for, I have a, a pretty good awareness of when I walk into an audition room, if I just sucked or if I killed it. I've, I've got a pretty, like, I don't walk out going, nailed it. And, <laughs> and the people in the room are like, oh, no, that was bad. Like, yeah, I can get a sense of either, like, do I need to call and apologize to those people for wasting their time or not? And I think that there are some times where I look back and I'm like, I killed that audition. I was great at that. And there were a few things where I got feedback, like we just don't see her as a cop or we just don't see her as a doctor or we just don't. And I'm, but why? If I did a great job in the audition and I'm, and I'm doing your lines the way that you want them to be said, why not? So I think that when you look a certain way, it just comes with preconceived ideas of what an audience is going to take in, what their experience is going to be. You know, I was always surprised when I would get auditions and it would be like the, oh, it's the bitchy ex-cheerleader who, you know, is competitive. With, and I'm like, I would never cast me in this role. I would never, because I think I'm like the kid who got bullied, who is a goofball and a little too sensitive and gets my feelings hurt. And I don't, I'm like, why that. would someone yeah. think that I would be able to nail this character? And I'm like, oh, because they think I look like a bitchy ex-cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh. And I, I had to start to be more realistic about how people were viewing me because I felt one way and I was frustrated that I wasn't getting the kind of roles that I anticipated or that I wanted to play or that I could imagine myself in. They were all these very sort of shallow roles are very specific and I do think playing Joan opened so many doors for me a lot of people said oh did you get sort of pigeonholed into that kind of character I'm like what kind of character strong amazing layered so many layers passionate yeah. you know like it, in some ways it just completely blew things open for me because all of a sudden they could see me as a cop and they could see me as a lawyer and they could see as me as, as a doctor and I don't know what changed except for they saw this strength in this character. You know, then my next series, I did a, sh a show called Tin Star after that. Love Tin and Star. Then, oh, thank you. Yeah, and then Tim Good Roth. Girls, which I, I did for the last, yeah, I loved him. The last four years, all of a sudden, I was given comedic roles as well because I think Joan was very, very funny. And I think that Mad Men was actually very, very funny. I, I just think it just people saw me in all these different ways through this one character. And that's how beautifully she was written, because it didn't open up one category for me. It opened up all the categories. 
And I do want to come back to Good Girls. I think getting that balance between drama and comedy is a fine line. It's a difficult thing, but you guys did a great job with that. Just going back to Mad Men, or actually, I guess before Mad Men, do you, do you miss part of your life pre-Joan? You know, it, it does ebb and flow, though. It depends on what's on the air. And it depends okay. on the city you're in. It's very funny. I'll sort of plop down somewhere and go, oh, hey, London's really into Mad Men. Interesting. Didn't know that. Or I'm passing through the, you know, the airport at Salt Lake City. Oh, bunch of good girl fans here. It's sort <laughs> of like the demographic is different where you go. It's funny. If something's on the air at the time that I am, you know, out and about, there's a lot more sort of recognition or, or people coming up and saying to me, but if it hasn't been on for maybe even six months, it's like much quieter. People are very, very immediate. Yeah. So it's good girls wrapped and it was, there was like quite a bit of excitement about it. And we were, you know, we wrapped up the show, but then it doesn't air for a few months. And so a lot of the world didn't see it until it's on Epic. So then it's like hyped up again. And then it's number one in the country and we've already been canceled. But we're number one on TV. So it's like this weird, almost chasing its tail kind of thing. And then, you know, then the project ends and things calm down a little bit. So you just kind of learn to ride the wave a little bit. One thing from doing prep for this interview, there's some really nice trivia about you. I mean, obviously there's, you revealed after 20 years, you are the hand in the American (laughs) beauty uh, poster, a very famous movie poster. And that is indeed your hand. But also, is it true that around the time you started Mad Men, you were actually a florist or you were you were doing that for some time? Well, I always wanted to be a florist. And when we shot the pilot of Mad Men, Matt Weiner had to finish The Sopranos. And so we were in this holding pattern of finding out if we were picked up. But we also signed contracts, so we weren't available to anyone else. For almost a year, we're sort of sitting around... And people were like, oh, are you going to be working anytime soon? (laughs) Like, you know, like worried, you know. And I'm like, well, you know, I did the show and I'm just kind of waiting. And I think it's kind of exciting, but I don't know. And so I didn't know what to do with my time in that interim. And so I went to one of my favorite florists that's sadly no longer there, but it's kind of an iconic place in Los Angeles. And I walked in and I said, do you guys ever do internships, like maybe I could just study with your floral designers. I think that would be really fun. And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And they were like, no, we don't. <laughs> you either work here or you don't work here. They said, we can hire you. We could use some extra work for like Mother's Day and Easter and stuff like that, Valentine's Day or whatever. I said, okay. So they hired me and I, I probably only worked there for maybe four months, three or four months or something like that. It's not a while. But yeah, it was a little while. And I also... So it wasn't just arranging flowers because they needed employees. So I kind of ended up, you know, I was answering the phones and taking orders and getting the, and I was like, I'm pretty good at this. I like like this. I liked the organization of it. And I mean, what could be more amazing than walking into your place of employment and just being surrounded by the smell of flowers. Mm. And normally when people come in to buy flowers, it's usually for a pretty nice occasion. So people are kind of in a nice mood and it was just such a pleasant atmosphere and experience and I, I liked the sort of it's creative as well you know, when right? you're an actress you know, you don't know what's going to happen from day to day and there's this anxiety around that like what what is today going to bring you know what scenes you're going to work on hopefully but anything could go on you know you might be there for 17 hours you might be there for three hours you might someone might throw a fit on you know I don't know there's there, there's so many variables and when you have something like that where it's like 
this is when we open, this is when we close. This is how this system works. This is how this works. This is, it, there's something very sort of like comforting from someone who comes from a freelance place. When was the first time you felt really secure as an actor? <laughs> secure mean? <laughs> the last time I felt secure, I'd never really had a plan B because in my 20s, listen, I, I, I was incredibly fortunate. I decided to get an agent and I got an agent and six months later I had my first series, which was called Beggars and Choosers. So I moved up to Vancouver and shot that for a season. And then very shortly afterwards, I started working with John Wells, who was doing ER and West Wing and all of those things. And he put me on a pilot that didn't get picked up, but he liked me enough that he basically did a production deal with me for the next three years. So I was under oh, cool. the banner of like the John Wells Productions. And I did a series called The Court with Sally Field that was very short-lived, but with this incredible cast, incredible writers, and we're not sure why it didn't go. And then... Shortly after that, I did a series called Kevin Hill. And then a year later, I got Mad Men. So I've worked consistently. People may not have had any idea who I was until I was on Mad Men, mm. but I was always working on a series. So I didn't think about how insecure I was in those busy. early, because I was in my 20s and I was like, I'm still figuring life out. And this seems to be really exciting and I like this trajectory and, I, and I'm loving this experience. Let's keep doing this until we can't do this. And then that moment hasn't come yet, knock on wood. But the weird thing is, is you think, oh, okay, so you do a show like Mad Men, then you're set. You're going to always get the next thing. And it's, it's just not the case. I mean, when you're in this business, every time a show ends, it's like starting over. The difference is, luckily... People know who I am now, producers and directors. So I come with a little bit of pedigree, whereas before they were flipping through headshots, you know, chewing on a sandwich while I'm auditioning in front of them and they're barely looking at me. Now I get the respect of my five minutes when I, when I audition. I oftentimes don't have to audition anymore, but I'm still reading scripts like crazy and deciding what the next thing is. And you're always wondering if that's the right or the wrong move. And that doesn't even mean like, career-wise, just emotionally, will this project be the one that I can contribute my best work to? What can I do to, to elevate this? You know, what is my job in this? And when I said, that's why I like series sometimes is I like developing a character mm. over that amount of time too, because it just becomes, the more history a character has, the more fun it is to play. And every season that a show goes on, you get more history with these characters that are interacting. You know why Joan feels this way about Don. You know, you know, all these different things or why Beth would handle this in this particular way because her kids are here or that, you know, I like the puzzle of it and putting it all together. So I think that's the only time I feel sort of secure is when I'm smack dab in the middle of a season of something. Yeah, I like having a I'm not in the same level. I'm not an actor, so I'm not going to compare myself. But, no, but like a, pro, but, like but a project, one thing to yes. focus on. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah exactly. But it's always that thing of when it finishes, you kind of, I don't know about you, but I feel a bit sort of lost. I don't know what to do with myself. It's... I've been renovating a home for two years, <laughs> and it has been It looks beautiful. What a backdrop behind you. What a backdrop. Oh, well, this is not the house. I bought another house as an investment property. And it has been a roller coaster. And it's it's going to be done in about two weeks. And it's been a nightmare, but it's 
now I'm like, but what am I going to do? And it's been horrible. Like, I can't wait for it to be done. But I'm also like, you know, we're talking about being on our phones in the middle of the night. I'm on eBay looking for lamps and rugs because I'm furnishing the whole thing. So it'll be a fully furnished place for people to rent. Well, I moved into my place, my house three months ago, and it's been bit by bit. And then I got halfway through. And I was like, you need to slow down because you haven't got the money to be spending what you're spending right now. And then, and then the, there's that. Yeah, then there's that. And then in, in, in the background, I'm like, well, your sofas are coming and they've taken like two and a half months to arrive. And then trying to do all this during the pandemic, speaking yeah. of, you need something, you know, a molding. And they're like, well, there's lumber shortage and it's going to take four months to get in here. Oh, Why am God. I remodeling a house during COVID? This is like, there's no workers. Everyone's ill, like constantly worried if someone's going to be okay. We can't get materials. I mean, it's just been unbelievable. Let me ask you another plot twist question. Centered around a person, maybe an unexpected source of inspiration in your life. Who comes to mind? I would have to say people that I've known throughout my life show up in, in my interpretations of characters. Like I remember when I first did the pilot of Mad Men, I thought, oh, I know someone a little bit like this. They're a little bit of a know-it-all. They have a good heart. And they're generous, but they need to make sure everyone knows it. Like, if this person's going to throw a party, they're going to make sure that everyone knows that it was her idea and that she's the one who threw it. And and it's a nice party and it is sweet, but she needs the attention. So I'd say, like, that friend showed up in Joan. And then when I'm playing Beth and I'm not a parent, but I'm playing the mother of four, I'm looking at my friends who are wonderful mothers and seem to pull it all together. And... There'll just be like a moment where I'll see my best friend Tamara talk to her child in a way that I'm like, ah, that's how that's how people really act. Not this precious like getting down and holding your child's face from cheek to cheek. It's you have to remind yourself real, that these people do these things every day, yeah. you know. So so I think I steal from the people in my life when I see them doing something extraordinary or, or something that's so specific, I think. I really like that. I did. No uh, one's ever answered. I like did. That uh, really? Yeah. I did uh, Stephen Sondheim's company in New York at Lincoln Center. And we just did a, a very short run and, and we didn't have a lot of time to rehearse. And some people were rehearsing in, in New York and some people were rehearsing in Los Angeles. And we were learning choreography by videos on our iPads. And it was very hectic and very terrifying. And I didn't really know where to take this character. I didn't know where to, to direct her. I didn't know how to say my lines. And I, I was just crying, crying in my apartment every night. And the director, bless his heart, he's wonderful. He just didn't have enough time to work with all of us. And my husband at the time said, just trust your instincts. Just go do what you need to do. And it was the best bit of advice. And I went and did my thing. And my best friend watched it. And she goes, oh, you did your mom. You were doing Jackie. And I looked at it and I went, I was doing a little bit of my mom there. <laughs> a little bit. A little tribute to mom there. So, so there's little things that show up, I think, in every character. Yeah, no one's ever answered it like that before. I appreciate it. Yeah. That's Do really people nice. normally just say like a, a person? Yeah. Like a specific, yeah. Not uh, actually, huh. uh, I guess, snippets that, and it's so true that the, I find myself saying phrases that I think, well, where did I get that from? Like, oh, 
He says that. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the sort of yeah. and character traits. It's what yeah. we do, really. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Um, I saw online you love cooking. It's mm. been a, it's, it's a passion of yours. Is it, and is it Top Chef that you watch? I used to watch it religiously, and I actually even got the opportunity to be on it once, which was really fun. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it's been on for a hundred years. I yeah. can't like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I put in a, at least a decade. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's commitment. I think for UK listeners, it's the equivalent of Master Chef, from what I can gather. Yeah, exactly. Who would be your dream dinner guest? Anyone from past or present? And what would you what would you cook? This dinner guest thing, this has been out there and people are always like, I'd have the Dalai Lama and Marilyn Monroe. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, and I think I answered a question many, many, many years ago like this. I think it was like the first magazine I did as an actress instead of as a model, like that it was like an interview with me and someone asked me that question and I said, I think it would be interesting to have Jesus there because I got a lot of questions. Okay. But <laughs> because <laughs> the whole world seems yes. to constantly be yeah. at a struggle with one another, oftentimes because of this particular person. But they printed it as, I would like to have dinner with my Jesus. And it made me sound like I was like very churchy and <laughs> very spiritual. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I would never have said my Jesus. That's such a <laughs> weird thing to say. But I still stand by the fact that I would really like to sit down with Jesus and ask a few questions. I'd like to clear some things up. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> what going on? What's going on there? I want the people that are in my life now at, at my dinner but You table. can totally have and, people now. Yeah, I just want my family or... and all my friends and all my lovely people there. I'll watch the documentaries about everyone else. <laughs> 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 and what would I cook for them? One thing that I used to do, because I'd watch something like Top Chef or I would you know, always be reading Bon Appetit magazine or something, is I was constantly trying something new. And so I, I never like developed my specialty, but I have to say my friend Jake Scott, who's a wonderful director, and I did a movie called American Woman with him. His father is Ridley Scott. And he called and said, we should have a Sunday roast. Yeah, I've heard about this. Huh? I've heard about this, yeah. Of this film? Well, uh, no, so the, I, did you do roast Yorkshire puddings? Is this right? Yes, how did you know this? Uh, I did my did research. Did I say that somewhere? I did my research. Oh, wow. That's wild. Okay. So yeah, so we had a Sunday roast and I made Jake's mother's Yorkshire puddings and I made a roast. And in fact, I was just talking about having one in a couple of weeks. So my specialty, I'm trying, I said, I want to get this roast down so good that I could do it with my eyes shut so that I could throw a roast really easily without any stress and just know that I've got it down. So I'm going to keep like rotating the sides, but the Yorkshire pudding and the beef roast will be at every one. So I want to nail this. I want to get it like so that it's so good. And then I'm going to mix up the guests each time. So I'm trying to start like a Sunday thing. Is there a bit of bread sauce in there as well? Is there a gravy? There's and... wine and shallot and, yeah. and all of that Ooh, for the, nice. for the oh, yeah, jus and top. Yeah, that's great choice. Yeah, that's really, that's up there. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Well, we don't really do a Sunday roast in the U.S., you know? It's no, much more I know, of a British yeah. thing. Yeah, and the Yorkshire's But I like a... the idea of friends all there and sort of like an earlier in the afternoon and yeah. just very cozy yeah no i get that and yorkshire puddings like making them yourself that's a skill set in itself you know that's well jake didn't yeah. tell me that his mom's timing was a little off because, because they took <laughs> almost twice as long i'm like they're almost there they're almost there 
I did source the duck fat that I needed to make them. You oh, can't you find duck fat everywhere, so I did find my duck fat. Oh, I love this. <laughs> Christina, what's next for you? What's coming up? Obviously, we've mentioned about that the house over the next few weeks, but have you yeah. got any uh, projects beyond that that we should be aware of that we can get excited I for? I finished a film a few months ago called The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery, and that's going to come out quite soon, I think, in the next few months. It's going to be in theaters. It's a really sweet film, and it just has that sort of old school, New England autumn leaves, beautiful surroundings, beautiful atmosphere, wonderful actors in it. I, I just think it's going to be a really special movie. So I'm excited to have that come out. And then I'm about to, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, but I'm, I'm heading over to Scotland Ooh. in about a month and a half to work on something. So well, I'm You can tease us with that. that. You can leave it there and then... Yeah, I'm going to yeah. leave it there just in case. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm in talks with hair and makeup and costumes and doing all that thing. And it is a period piece, I can say that. Oh, wow. I'll be beautiful, so, I imagine. So that'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. I said, you know, I said, I was talking to the director and she was so wonderful. And she said something about swans in cages. And I said, listen, I have been in trash cans with covered in applesauce for the four, last four years on Good Girls. <laughs> so when yeah. you say swans in cages, you know, sign me up. I could use a little a little corset and a teacup every once in a while. Yeah, mix it up a little. Why not? <laughs> mix it up a little bit. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. I really, really, really enjoyed oh, it's it. Been so thank, nice. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on, just having a chat. Yeah, good luck with the house over the next two weeks. Thank you. you you'll start to see the pictures unroll here soon. Yeah, I, I want to see me these before and afters. You've got you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming out. They're coming out. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was really nice. No, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. A huge, huge thank you to Christina Hendricks, who was the sweetest, loveliest person. I was a fan before. I'm an even bigger fan now. I also found her to be really reflective and a very thoughtful individual. It's interesting how there's, I guess, these similarities or comparisons between herself and Joan. Of course, that is her most famous character, so there would be. But actually, as a person, dare I say, they're kind of chalk and cheese. She's so sort of humble, gentle. And she'd probably even say herself a little bit goofy complete opposite of Joan and it's interesting that for certain roles she felt like she was getting cast as like the bitchy ex-cheerleader well she's so different from that and I thought I hope the interview showed that we spoke about her creativity clearly she's very talented in that sense and she took a different approach to the plot twist person question I love that always take a different approach and she talked about the sort of collective people that she'd met and influenced her I thought it was really nice so a big big thank you to Christina Love that chat. If you want to see more of her, she's in the first two series of Tin Star on now. And next week, we've got a cracker. Miriam Margulies. Do I need to say anything else? Oh, my goodness. Of course, Professor Sprout on Harry Potter. A amazing theatre actress as well. And we can't forget those antics on Grand Norton. It should be great fun. So that's going to be next week. We'll see you then. Ciao.